Tonight's sermon text comes from Romans 8, verses 31 to 39, can be found in your pew Bible on page 1201. The word of God says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the word of God. Let us pray once again. Heavenly Father, I pray that as your word is exhorted today, that eyes, ears, and hearts are open to receive your word, that you get me out of your way, that the Holy Spirit speaks through me, and that the people hear, that they hear what you want them to hear, and they are changed forever whether they are already believers and are encouraged. And if they are not believers here tonight, Lord, may your word change their hearts. I pray everything in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's one important question that you may ever answer in your life. What will happen to you when you die? Where will you go? If you die right now, will you be in heaven with God forever? Will you end up in hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched? Or do you think there's another place where you will go, where you will burn off your sin until you are ready for heaven? Or do you think there's no place at all where you will end up? If you believe you are going to heaven, why do you believe you are going to heaven? It is, is it because you believe you're a good person? Maybe you don't know what will happen to you. Maybe you're unsure of your eternal destiny. With sadness, I regret when I ask people this question. Many say they don't know, or they say they hope they're going to heaven because they're good enough. Or some Roman Catholics will even answer with this heartbreaking answer that they'll go to purgatory well, they'll be made well enough and good enough to go to heaven, to be with God forever. Brothers and sisters, what if I told you that you can know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, will, where you will spend eternity? What if I told you you can have confidence that you will be with God forever? Even better than that, what if God tells you, through the Apostle Paul, that nothing can separate Take you away, break the covenant bond, or stop 
God from loving you in Christ Jesus forever. Therefore, you will be with God forever. In this beautiful passage this evening, that's what God is telling us. You can know where your eternal destiny is. You can know you will be with God forever. And that is a great thing. If you struggle with knowing if God loves you, let this passage assure you he does. He loves you with an everlasting, steadfast, covenant love. God does not bring you to himself to let you go. He knew you before you were born. He predestined you to be his forever, chosen before the foundation of the world. And brothers and sisters, I pray that when you leave here tonight, you will know again beyond the shadow of a doubt, you are God's. No matter the trials that come, no matter how you feel, no matter the sin you struggle with, no matter what the person on earth has done to reject you, know this, that God loves you and he will never let you go. We will walk through this text with two points. First, God gives us everything in Christ. And that's verses 31 to 34. And also, God never takes back what he gives. And that's verses 35 to 39. So let us begin. Verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This seems like maybe a strange place to start this preaching tonight. What shall we say to these things? What things? Could Paul be referring to everything that he's written in this letter to the Romans up until this point? Could Paul be thinking of maybe something from Romans 1, 1 16, saying that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and where he continues in the chapters 2 and 3 to place everyone under sin? When he writes in chapter 3, verse 10, None are righteous, no, not one. And then in verse 23, saying that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul continues in chapter 3, saying we are justified by his grace as a gift, and God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Maybe the Apostle Paul is referring to something in chapter 4 when he quotes Psalm 32, saying, Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. How about when he writes in chapter 5? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And soon after, in the same chapter, he encourages those who are suffering with, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God, God's love, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And that's in chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. He goes on to write that while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were still sinners. We were still still enemies with God when he reconciled us by the death of his son and saved us by his life. Maybe when the apostle refers to these things in chapter 8, he's referring to maybe something from chapter 6 when he reminds the church in Rome that we were buried with him in baptism And as Christ was raised, we too walk in newness of life. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. 
The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But maybe when Paul says these things, what shall we say to these things? He's referring to the constant struggle with sin, the fight of the old man that he refers to in chapter 7. The struggle of doing, not doing what we want to do, because that indwelling sin. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now we get to chapter 8. Paul starts the chapter There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been set free from the law of sin and death. We live in the spirit, no longer in the flesh. We have been adopted as sons and daughters, and we can cry, Abba, Father. We are heirs with Christ. Yet the apostle here reminds the Romans, we still suffer. But he knows the sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is a glory coming that Paul knows is worth losing everything on this earth. And when we do suffer, the Spirit, he writes, intercedes for us as we don't know how to pray as we all. And finally, leading up to the text that we have today are these beautiful verses. Romans 8, starting in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Honestly, what can we say to these things? All things work together for good for the Christian. Not that all things are good, but all things work together for our good. We may not ultimately see that right now, but what is happening is for our good. Why? Because God has called, he invited, he summoned for salvation us according to his purpose. Whose purpose? God's purpose. Also, God foreknew you with an intimate knowledge and marked you out beforehand to be made into the image of his son. And next we have this beautiful golden chain of redemption. God's predestining, his calling, his justifying, and finally his glorifying. You have been called. You have been justified. You have been declared righteous as if you are righteous. Not as if you've never sinned, but as if you can't do anything other than good. You are declared righteous. And God has glorified you, and he will ultimately glorify you in his coming when we have our glorified bodies. What can we say to these things? What does Paul say to these things? He writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So here is our first point. God gives us everything in Christ. If we were not convinced already by what Paul has written to the Romans, he reminds us here that God did not spare his own son. He gave him up. He sent Jesus Christ to die for sinners. Romans 8.3, he writes, He sent him in the likeness of sinful man to condemn sin in the flesh. God the Father gave up his only begotten son. John 3.16, I'm sure you all know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There was another son in Genesis 22. It was Abraham's son, Isaac, the child of promise. Abraham believed God's promise and was ready to bring the knife down on his son. But God said, stop. And God provided a sacrifice that day. Provided himself a sacrifice that day. A lamb caught in the thicket. But on a day sometimes later, God provided a true sacrifice on Calvary, on Golgotha. His son, not caught in a thicket, but with the crown of thorns on his head, was crucified. And the knife did not stop. He was killed. The wrath of God against sinners was poured out on God's only begotten son. This was for you, brothers and sisters. This was for your sin. We are the, us all in this passage. Your sins earn the wages of death. You have earned your own death on the cross. You have earned suffering of hell. Yet the death and suffering was taken by his son, who was given up for us all. This is provided that you believe. Do you believe? Have you trusted in the only begotten son? Don't turn away from the free gift of eternal life, salvation, and the security of knowing that is offered to you right now. We can be adopted into the family of God as sons and as daughters. God gave him up, gave up his son for you, Christian. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Really, though, what else is there to give? You are forgiven. You have peace with God forever. We have God forever. He is our Father forever. And maybe some of you are doubting that. Maybe you're saying, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I still do. Believer, let these next words of the Apostle Paul comfort you. Verse 33. Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Brothers and sisters, who can bring charge against you? Who can accuse you? Who can say that you do not have eternal life? Who condemns you? Is it someone you know? Is someone saying... There's no way he or she is forgiven. I know what they've done. Maybe it's a relative who knew you before you came to Christ. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you live with the memories of your past self and they haunt you. Or you could still be fighting sin. Fighting off even sinful thoughts. Yet falling sometimes to the old person who you were. Paul is saying that no one, not even yourself, not even Satan, can bring a charge against you that will stick. Why can't an accusation stick against you in a heavenly court? Because God justifies. His word says he is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on asking, who can condemn you? Who is to judge you worthy of punishment? Who is to have you suffer death and hell 
for your sins. Paul answers, Christ Jesus took your punishment. He condemned, he was condemned for you. He was sentenced to death for you. He died on your behalf. He suffered hell on the cross for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he didn't just stay dead. He rose. Christ was raised. Our Savior lives. He was raised for our justification. Jesus took our punishment and our sins, being crucified on the cross, then buried, yet he rose from the grave. Your sin is atoned for. The payment has been received. It has been paid in full. Christ was worthy to suffer for us, and the payment was accepted. The receipt was given, and he was raised from the dead. He has overcome death. Not only was he raised, Paul writes, he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Being at the right hand of God, this is a position of power. It is authority. Jesus, before he ascended, told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is king. He is reigning. And what does Paul say the reigning king is doing? The reigning king is interceding for you, for me, for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives at the Father's right hand to make intercession for you. He prayed for you in John 17, and he continues to pray for us right now. This Jesus given to us by the Father, died in our place, rose from the dead, and is at the right hand of God interceding. He is our advocate. He is for us. The Father is for us. God is for us, and no one can be against us. God gives us his son. God gives us himself. How will he not also continue to give us all things? He has already given us everything. Are you assured Jesus has been given for you? Are you assured he took your punishment and you are forgiven? Do you know for sure God loves you and you will be with him forever? Or have you yet, you yet to come and see how good God is and how good his love is and how by grace through faith in Jesus Christ you can have salvation forever? Perhaps you think something can take you away from that love. Maybe you think you can be separated from the love of God. And that brings us to our second point. God never takes back what he has given. So what does Paul write next? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Christ died, rose, and is interceding for you. Who can separate us from that kind of love? The apostle gives us seven things here. Seven things that the Romans were experiencing, and perhaps in some way we also experience. First one is tribulation. Have you experienced tribulation? Have you experienced trouble in your life? 
Those in Rome who Paul was writing to experienced trouble. Pressure from the world was on them because they were now living differently. They were living like Christians. They weren't taking part in the Roman lifestyle. There was trouble all around them. Trouble from friends who may want them to go back to their old sinful lifestyle. There was also trouble from the Roman government who was increasingly less tolerant of Christians. But could this trouble separate them from the love of Christ? John 16, After speaking with his disciples about them leaving him after he was taken away from them to be crucified, he said this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Even knowing his disciples were going to leave him, he was going to be taken and to be crucified, he still reassured them of his love. He assures us, we have tribulation, we have trouble in this life. We sometimes scatter at moments when our faith is challenged. But this does not separate us from the love of God. We have moments of trouble when we may not even feel the presence of God in our life. This doesn't separate us from the love of Christ. The second thing Paul mentions is distress. Have you ever seen a piece of distressed furniture? This is a piece of furniture that is usually brand new, like a table, a desk, or a chair, sometimes something leather, that people will take and treat it in a way to make it look old, make it look antique. Many times we feel pressure and anxiety of life, and we are distressed in that sense. The pressure of the world, the pressure of being a perfect mom, a perfect dad, perfect child, perfect student, perfect sister, or even a perfect Christian. That can cause us distress. Illness, COVID, cancer, wars, that can cause us distress. But the interesting thing about a distressed piece of furniture is after you make it look old, it's sold usually for more than you purchased it for. We are distressed at times to be made more into the image of Christ. As we draw closer to him, God molds us in our distress. We are in anguish and pain, and when we are, we look to Christ and to be comforted by the Holy Spirit as they both intercede for us. God conforms us into the image of his Son through affliction and distress because he loves us. Be assured, though, our Savior has overcome. We take heart. We can be of good cheer. We have tribulation and we have distress but this will not separate us from the love of Christ. The third thing, persecution. At the time Paul is writing this, there was persecution of the Christians in Rome. Many were being martyred for their faith. Such often is the way of the Christian. They hated Jesus, and he said they will hate us too. We should not expect to be treated well by all. The world will hate us. And how the world treat Jesus? They crucified him. Why would we expect any less? But this does not separate us from the love of Christ. The next thing Paul mentions, famine. We may experience a time without food. We may go hungry. Farms may stop producing food. Trucks may stop coming to the grocery stores. Yet this does not separate us from the love of Christ. Next thing Paul mentions is nakedness. We might go without clothing. We might go without essentials. We might not have what we need to survive in this world. But this does not separate us from the love of Christ. 
Danger. The Roman Christians were facing danger every day. There are Christians today facing danger of prison, of torture, of death. This does not separate them from the love of Christ. And the last thing Paul mentions is sword. The sword would often take the lives of Christians in Rome. Christians in this time, as long as they still bowed to Caesar, they were not killed. But they were often asked to pinch some incense into an altar next to an image of Caesar. But many said, we have no king but Christ. And they faced the sword. But even this did not separate them from the love of Christ. And Paul finishes this section by writing, verse 36, As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is Paul quoting Psalm 44, which we read earlier in the service. The psalmist here is writing during a time of affliction. He's being afflicted and the people of God are being afflicted. He is crying out to God as they are being persecuted, as they are being slaughtered. He starts the psalm out by reminding God of his great things, the great things that God has done in the past. He goes on to talk about his trust in God to save them. Then he goes to ask, God, where are you? They are being made a laughingstock, scattered among the nations. They were sheep to be slaughtered. The psalmist ends with calling on God's steadfast covenant love. In the last verses of Romans here, Romans 8, Paul could be answering Psalm 44. He writes in verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul answers the question he asked earlier. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can any of the things that he listed earlier separate us from the love of Christ? No, we are more than conquerors. We overwhelmingly conquer. Those things can't defeat us, and they definitely cannot separate us. Not because we are strong enough to overcome tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, but because Christ has overcome He has overcome. He has conquered tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Christ faced all of these things in his life. He faced them to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he overwhelmingly conquered. He did this for the glory of God. He did this for you. He did this to save you from ultimate tribulation and distress and the sufferings of hell. He did this to bring you to himself. Brothers and sisters, are you assured? Are you confident that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ? Are you sure? Guess who is sure? Paul is sure. He goes on to write, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death cannot separate us. In the time when Christians in Rome were dying for their faith, Paul assures them that death cannot separate them. One statistic is certain in this world. One out of every one person will die. On average, about 160,000 people die worldwide a day. It will happen unless the Lord returns. We are called to meet him in the air. But we look at death on earth as separation from our loved ones. We no longer see them. Death has, in a sense, separated us. But when a Christian dies, we know they are home with the Lord. In the mourning and in the sorrow, 
there is comfort. For the Christian, our death will not separate us. It will bring us closer to Christ. Paul writes in Philippians 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And in 2 Corinthians 5, he refers to being absent from the body and present with the Lord. No, brothers and sisters, death cannot separate us. How about life? Can our lives separate us? Paul has already said that all tribulation and distress that we face cannot. Can our worries and sins, the ones that we still fight, can they separate us according to Paul? No, they can't. What are you struggling with? What worry do you have? Who are you worried about? What addiction are you trying to stop? What loved one's addiction can you not stop? What pressure are you under? Are you struggling to pay bills, to raise up children, to get through the next day? If so, I will say this first. Talk to us. Talk to the elders here. Let us help you in your struggle. But know this for certain. Jesus Christ died for you. You have believed and you are forgiven. Remember, it is not the strength of your face of your faith that saves you. It is the strength of the one in whom you have faith in. Can angels separate you? Can Satan and the falling angels pull you away from the love of Christ? No, you belong to God in Christ. Satan has been defeated. He is bound, but temptations and accusations still come. But Satan can't have you. Jesus prayed for you. In John 17, verse 15, Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The Father answers the prayers of the Son. He answers them with yes and amen. Can rulers separate you? Earthly, or, earthly rulers may try to set up laws where you can't worship. They may throw us into prison. They may have us beaten, tortured, killed because we proclaim the name of Christ. But this can't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We rejoice in our sufferings by the power of the Holy Spirit because we are deemed worthy to suffer for Christ. Can things present or things to come separate you? Can the struggles you have with sin now separate you? Can your future struggles with sin separate you? No, all of your sins are forgiven. I will say this again, all of your sins are forgiven. Can any amount of time take us away from the love of Christ? Never. No lengthy period, not even a lengthy period of time where you don't feel the presence of God. That does not even separate you from the love of God. His steadfast covenant love endures for a second. No. His steadfast covenant love endures for a minute. No. His steadfast covenant love endures forever. As Jesus says, Go in peace, your sins are forgiven. What about powers? The Greek word here for powers is dunamis, which we get our word dynamite, it's explosive. There is no power great enough to take you away from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the same word used in Romans 1.16 where he says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The power of God. No other power is more powerful, more greater than the power of God. Brothers and sisters, do you believe? If yes, if you believe, then nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing.
What about height and depth? What is meant here? Paul could be referring to the contrast of of distance. Can ascending high or descending low separate us? No. Some say Paul might be referring to the heights of heaven and the lows of hell. The powers of hell cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even the unseen spiritual world can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul finally says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not anything in all creation. I had a conversation once, once with a Roman Catholic friend of mine, and I asked him this question. If you die right now, where will you go? Because Catholics aren't taught assurance. They're taught that assurance is a sin. It's presumption, the presumption that you are saved. It is sinful to believe that you're actually saved. And he said to me, well, I hope I go to purgatory. Purgatory, a place where you burn off your temporal sins until you're pure enough to get into heaven. So I read him this passage in Romans 8, but I also read him this. John 10, 27, when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me. Sorry, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the Father are one. My friend who I had the conversation with said to me after I read him that, yeah, but I can jump out. Brothers and sisters, we won't jump out of the hand of God. I heard it illustrated this way by a preacher named Justin Peters. We are in the son's hand. We are in his hand. We can't get out. And then the father puts his hand over the son's hand. We are in the double-fisted grip of God. He will never let us go. We're not going to jump out of that. When I was a kid, one more illustration. I remember there being a commercial on TV where there was a man wearing a hard hat and he was holding on to the hard hat and it was attached to an I-beam. And as the camera zoomed out, you see him hanging there and his, his legs, he's suspended above, above the earth, so to speak. It was a crazy glue commercial. And their motto is, bonds almost anything. So this glue, you're not supposed to really be able to, to separate it. But you know what? With the, with the right tools and the right chemicals, you could probably separate that. But there are no tools or chemicals that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you die right now, who will you be with? Are you sure? Are you confident? And do you know why you will be with him? Have you turned from trusting in your works? Or do you hope maybe one day you are a good enough person to get into heaven? Come to the sure Savior, Jesus Christ, who has done everything for you. Pastor Neil Beck preached on the passage where Jesus says, it is finished. And I love that passage too. Because, brothers and sisters, it is finished. Jesus has done it all. And really the most amazing part of this passage in Romans 8 is the assurity we have, yet knowing we don't deserve it. 
We are sinners. We deserve hell. We deserve wrath. But God gave his son for us. And he took that wrath and that punishment for us. And when we believe, when we trust in that, we are his forever. He loves us. He loves you. Are you still not sure? Then here's a little application. Read these verses. Still not sure? Read these verses. Still not sure? Read the verses. Because it doesn't matter how you feel. If you feel saved, don't look at your fruit. What am I doing? Look to the Savior. Look to Christ. It is finished. Nothing means nothing. He doesn't use those words in this passage, but that's the summary. Paul is saying nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and nothing means nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can know we are yours forever, not by anything that we have done, but by what you have done for us, what you have given us, who you have given us, that we are in your hand, we are in the Son's hand, you will never let us go. We can be assured. Father, may we leave today assured of our salvation, of our place with you as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, that you love us with an everlasting, steadfast covenant love that you will never break. I pray everything in that saving name of Jesus. Amen. We can now stand and sing praises to God with the hymn, How Great Thou Art, which can be found in the front of your hymnal.